Well, good evening. Uh, I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Kings chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9, and you can also find your place in John chapter 15. And we'll save that one for a little later on. And we'll spend the majority of our time in 1 Kings chapter 9. And then we'll come to John chapter 15, please. You find it there in John 15. It'll be easier to find when we need to flip to it. Uh, Certainly grateful for the opportunity to stand before you and preach tonight. And I know that uh, most have come from a busy day. I was talking to several on the phone from church tonight about uh, just something that needed to be done. And they were all scrambling to get home from work. And um, so I understand um, uh, the long and busy day. And I'm grateful you're here, and it's good to be with God's people tonight. And so I'm looking forward to what the Lord might do in the next few moments together. I'm grateful for our Sunday School series in the book Experiencing God, uh, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And I'm just grateful for how um, it has taught us and given us clarity on how to determine the will of God, how to know what the will of God is and how to do it. And so my prayer is for this message tonight to simply reinforce what we've been learning. It's amazing as you, as you go through the book, Experiencing God, you really see an overarching theme throughout the book. And it, it, the chapters come back to some of the same couple points over and over again because the author has not missed really what is the foundation of all of the will of God. And perhaps you already know the answer to that. I guess I'm kind of setting you up for what the message is for uh, tonight. And so I'm hoping that this message would just reinforce and encourage um, what the will of God is. And what that is cannot get old. We cannot wear it out. And so I just hope this would help. Um, And so I want this to help. And considering, um, I believe the Lord wants to help us by considering what he spoke to King Solomon so long ago. There's so many examples in that book by Blackaby from the Bible, different characters from the Bible. Uh, but this one, this one character that we would find in the book of 1 Kings, Solomon, I think would be a tremendous help as we look at what God told him when he needed to hear uh, what he was going to hear. And so I hope you'd consider uh, what the Lord would say to you tonight. Warning signs. They are posted to prevent people from risking personal injury. Most warning signs are the case. Uh, Just several to name a few. Some familiar warning signs we would see out there in society. Uh, Definitely during summertime, you would see warning signs like, Warning, no diving in shallow end. Now, you think that'd be common sense? Uh, swimming at a public pool or in your, your own swimming pool. When I was a, a lifeguard at a camp, I had a teenager dive head first into the shallow end right in front of my chair. After he heard the rules, no diving in shallow end, after he's probably swam a bunch of times in his life, and he came up unscathed. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, I would have had to really do some work there, but um, I think it was about four, four and a half feet of water, so he was blessed. Um, And it didn't seem to be a big deal to him. And so the Lord risked his neck. And then warning signs that say, warning, caution, wet floor. We've seen those. Maybe some of you have uh, flirted with that sign where it is. And I'll walk on the wet floor anyway and came out um, okay. 
uh, warning, sharp curve ahead, which is just giving you a heads up to adjust your speed while you're driving. Uh, warning, beware of dog. Have you seen that sign and just walked right through, went up the driveway and came back and not a thing happened? It's a blessing. God's looking out for us. It isn't always the case, though, that people are, are hurt who disregard warning signs. But in our passage tonight, God is desiring to prevent Solomon from experiencing what is the inevitable of a careless believer. We might be able to cross warning signs in uh, the normal day-to-day of our lives and nothing's going to happen. But this warning that God gives Solomon is God using the warning to try to prevent Solomon from what would be the inevitable if he does not heed the warning from God. What God says to King Solomon is nothing God has not warned others about before him. In fact, the kings have the, the king. Would, have, would know some of those people personally, and he could make himself probably familiar with what God warned them about. But in our passage, you'll notice as we read, we're going to be reading the first nine verses. By verse nine, you'll get the sense that God is trying to make this warning personal and clear to Solomon. King Solomon, he was blessed as he obeyed God's word. He knew that obedience to God's word produced blessing. He likewise knew that disobedience to God's word forfeited God's blessing. So how did Solomon get away from the will of God? How did Solomon get away from the will of God? Well, let me ask you, how do any of us, how do any of God's people get away from living in the will of God. You say, oh, it's because of this reason. But for this person, it was this different reason. I beg to differ tonight. How do any of us get away from living in the will of God? As we come to 1 Kings chapter 9, it's really right after the nation of Israel is experiencing a time of praise and celebration at the completion of the construction of the house of God. If we read through chapter 8 of 1 Kings, we would see that the completion of the house of God that was really a a desire of King David's heart and then adopted by King Solomon, the construction is completed and God's people are having a time of praise. They are revived. They are refreshed. I could say and we could say tonight that they are experiencing a spiritual high. And it is at that mountaintop spiritually that God comes to Solomon, the one who's responsible for the nation, and he has a one-on-one, face-to-face chat with him. So I want us to stand together, if we will, if you're able, and look at 1 Kings 9, verses 1 through 9. Being on that spiritual high, on that spiritual mountaintop, God meets Solomon in verse 1. In fact, let's look at the last verse of chapter 8. And we'll go into chapter 9. Verse 66 of chapter 8. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, Solomon, and they blessed the king and went unto their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David, his servant, and for Israel, his people. Verse 1 of chapter 9. 
And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. Apparently Solomon had a relationship with the Lord as he had appeared to him before, the Bible says. But verse 3, God is speaking, and the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and wilt keep my statutes and my judgments. God is referring to the known word of God at that time. If you will keep what I have communicated to you in this nation... If you will keep my word, verse number five, God says, then I will establish the, th- uh, the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. As I promised to David, thy father saying, there shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. So God sees that they built the house for him and actually God empowered the building of the house for him. And he was pleased with their praise and their thanksgiving. And he tells Solomon, I want to be there. I, it will be my pleasure to be in your midst and the, the hallow that house. Even it is a public place of worship. If you obey my word. God kind of changes his tone in verse 6, I think. I would imagine, given the directness of the words. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, Ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. In other words, God is saying, Israel will become a thing of the past, a has-been, a used-to-be. Verse 8, And at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, and brought forth their fathers, uh, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. I want to preach to you a message entitled tonight, God's Clear Warning to Solomon. God's Clear Warning to Solomon. Uh, you may be seated. And I'll pray as you're seated, Lord. We come to you again, and I'm asking for uh, your blessing upon these few moments, that you would just use me as a vessel to do that which none of us can do, and that is to speak to hearts and reinforce, Lord, what we have been uh, so exposed to over the last several months here at this church. I pray that this would be a help tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to notice right off the bat that Israel, the nation, 
would remain in the will of God so long as the throne of Solomon obeyed the word of God. They would remain where God wants them to be, God accomplishing through them exactly what he wants to accomplish through them if that person who was responsible for the nation would obey the word of God. We saw that really in verses 1 through 5 that God approaches Solomon and he says, I'd be pleased to, to remain among you and to, to continue to bless as you obey my word, as you keep my commandments, my statutes, and my judgments, God says. We can observe from the previous chapters, as I made allusion to regarding chapter 8, that King Solomon had an authentic desire to see the Lord glorified through the nation of Israel. He had a real sincere desire to see that he would lead them in a way that would glorify the Lord. Solomon, during this time, demonstrated his resolve to glorify the Lord by developing the infrastructure of the land of Israel with a heart that pleased the Lord. God finds Solomon in a very spiritually healthy condition when we come to chapter 9. What did Solomon do previously? He ordered and he administrated the construction of the house of God and sincerely dedicated it to the glory of God. There was no man worship. There was no vain pomp and circumstance. God was pleased with their celebration at the end of the construction project. So it would be safe to say from what we know that King Solomon and thus Israel, they had a known testimony that they were fully committed to glorifying the living God of heaven. The known world had a, had a level of respect for their God, although they may not have placed faith in him and, and followed him, but they saw that this God was real and this God was doing the impossible through this nation, and so they were known. They were known throughout the known world. The God that they claim and dwells among them, he's real, and he's involved with their lives, but... Whatever, not for us. I hope you catch that, that drift. So God was clearly the glory of his people at this point. Israel unashamedly associated themselves with God's name. He was acknowledged for giving victories, for providing their needs, for all that they had, including his giving of King Solomon. And most importantly, God's people, they had his presence They had the real presence of God among them. You see, the great buildings, uh, the beautiful landscapes in the nation of Israel during this time, uh, the great wealth, it all characterized an established group of people. Many nations have had great wealth and beauty. You consider the, the, the nation of Egypt, the empire of Egypt, It had great beauty, it had great wealth, it had fantastic architecture and, and so on, but they didn't have God's presence These people, the chosen people of God, he was present among them. That was the the, the biggest difference between the nation of Israel and other nations. They were blessed with the presence of the one true God. No other nation had the glory of God upon them, the presence of God. So, God comes to Solomon personally in chapter 9. While he and the nation of Israel are experiencing, like I said, uh, some type of a revival, some type of a, of a, of a spiritual uh, refreshment, a, a spiritual high that was the result of experiencing 
the great blessings of God upon their nation. And so let me ask you this. Given what we know, and uh, maybe you understand human behavior, you understand our behavior as Christians. When God moves and God speaks and God is working and we've made decisions and the Lord has brought peace into our lives, victory into our lives, don't you think maybe Solomon uh, could develop a complacency and a proud heart given that all that God performed through his brilliant mind? Do you think Solomon could become complacent? You think Solomon could become uh, careless, maybe in his relationship with the Lord? Look at what we've done. God has been so pleased. Uh, we're on this mountaintop. Uh, maybe we can relax a little bit. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe that buys us time with God for a few years, and uh, we can become a little careless. I think that could become his tendency. In fact, we understand later on that it did become his his reality. In our passage, Solomon was still humble. He was still humble enough to where the Lord could deliver him a clear word of warning. It's like, it's like a kid on Christmas Day who goes uh, down the stairs and he sees at the Christmas tree a, a brand new bike with a, with a bow tied to it. And it's the exact bike that he asked for from his dad and it's the one he described. It's the one he's been waiting on for, for seven months. And he's so excited to, to ride it. And so his dad is, is, is trying to maybe get his son's attention and say, hey, son, I just want you to know, just, just, you need to be careful out there. I want you to pay attention right here. You need to wear this helmet. You need to not stare at the ground as you ride your bike. You need to be looking out for cars. You need to be careful. Okay, dad, dad, I got it. I just want to ride my bike. And so that's kind of the spirit I can imagine God finds Solomon and he's so pumped. He's so excited about what God accomplished in the nation. And he's so thrilled and happy. And God comes to him where he's still humble and in love with the Lord. And that's when God tells him something that he hopes he's going to listen to. But at this point, God was able to clearly communicate a word of warning because of two reasons. Solomon had a genuine love for the Lord. And then Solomon saw his need for God's strength and wisdom. He loved the Lord, and he was aware of his need for the presence and the word of God. A message is not communicated unless the message is clearly presented and clearly understood. This is bad communication is, is like when, when you send a text message from your iPhone uh, to an Android. You understood what you said, and you sent it out, and then three days later you touch base, and that person didn't get the message. And so at this point in Solomon's life, he has real good spiritual reception. He hears from God. He hears exactly what he needs to hear from God. You see, Solomon, he inclined his ear. Does that sound familiar? He was the one who was kind of on the verge of destroying his life, and it's now time for him to teach his son in the book of Proverbs. And he says, my son, incline thine ear. Well, that's where Solomon is at this point in time in his life. He was humble. He was teachable. He didn't think he knew everything, and so the message was coming through. The Lord communicated to Solomon that if he continued in his, his desire to please God with his life and obeyed God's word in verse 4, then here's what had happened. Israel would have success and Solomon's family would continue to be established on the throne. 
In other words, Israel would remain in the will of God so long as the throne of Solomon obeyed the word of God. Doesn't that make sense? They would remain in the will of God so long as they obeyed the word of God. God would prosper Israel as they obeyed his word. But in the same breath, God makes his clear warning. God is clear. I want you to understand that tonight, just to be clear. God is clear as to how his people lose the blessing of living in his will. It's very simple. It's not a mystery. It's very clear. Notice verse 6 again. But if if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land. God's people would not be in his will for their lives if Solomon forsook his word. It's amazing when we scratch our heads and ask ourselves, you know, I wonder whatever happened to, um, that, uh, to, to so-and-so uh, and, and why they aren't in, in church anymore. I, I just wonder, I mean, what, what exactly took place? What, what exactly transpired? Or I wonder how they could have been so committed to, the living, uh, to living for God and now they are so open about their, their sinful behavior. I mean, I think you've been there before. I mean, I think the majority of us have social media and we're probably very observant of just the lives of other people and we've asked ourselves a question or we, we look around after a couple of years have gone by and there are folks, there are church members who are not living as church members should and they are forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Or we might ask this question, what happened? I thought all they wanted to do was God's will. You know, I, I say this, that, that it's amazing, because I want us to be reminded tonight that God is as clear to us today as he was in his warning to Solomon. It is no mystery what has happened to whoever has come to your mind. But where they go, what, what went wrong? And we can point to all these other things. Or, or it was bitterness, it was immorality, it was money, it was, it was just apathy, it was uh, some other idol in their life. But God is clear, if you forsake my presence and you forsake my word, the long-term result will be that you are no longer experiencing my will for your life. If you're not abiding in the word, you're not abiding in God's will. God did not say to Solomon that he or Israel would no longer be his chosen people. That's not what God was saying to, uh, to Solomon in this passage. He's not saying, you will no longer be my chosen people if you don't take heed to my word. God is saying that Solomon would not have the blessings that are produced from his relationship with the Lord. And neither would all of the nation of Israel. What were the blessings of their relationship with God. What were the blessings of what was produced as a result of their their faith in the word of God? Well, they had God's continued presence. They experienced uh, his glory. God heard their prayers. They They had the promise of God's safety and God's protection and his prosperity upon the nation. They experienced what it was like uh, to have his power in defeating their enemies. They, they had his, his plan being worked out through them. 
God's blessings would, would be the result of letting God's word rule his life as the king of Israel. Thus being in God's will is the direct result of living and submitting ourselves to God's word. God's word. So what does God say? Would be the inevitable. Not maybe, not you might get by by chance, like the guy jumping, diving headfirst into the shallow end. What does God say would be the inevitable if Solomon forsook his word? Notice the end of verse 7. He says, And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. Into verse 8. And at this house which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. They, would, they should go, oh, what, what happened? And they shall say, why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to his house? And they, whoever it is, uh, here's the question asked, probably God's people or, or those who are not God's people but are observers, they shall answer, because they forsook the Lord their God. Not that God forsook them, but that they forsook the Lord their God. Understand this, that forsaking God shall be a reproach to his people. Forsaking God shall be a reproach to his people. A reproach, that means that they would carry the blame. That they would carry the weight of responsibility for, for all that is transpiring. Forsaking God's, the Lord's instructions for success would not be to God's shame, but to theirs. They, uh, God says to Solomon that the nation would be, would be a proverb or, or a byword. As I said earlier, it means that they would be considered a thing of the past. Yeah, they, they used to be a big deal. They, they used to see God working. They used to be making progress. You know, a story to have been told. It's kind of like that, that restaurant that served your favorite food until it came under new management. There's nothing wrong with your favorite food. You could probably find it anywhere. Uh, it's just that th this particular restaurant is not what it used to be. I think we've said it before. Such and such a place has lost its glory. Whatever it used to be is just not the same. Israel not the Lord, would lose their glory. What buildings were so magnificent and visible to the heathen, God basically tells Solomon they would slowly begin to decay over time. The great worship and elevation of God that once took place would be noticeably gone. Their clear testimony of being the people of God who believed that a Messiah would eventually come would be distorted. We understand that God kept his promise, but it would be very hard to tell that they belonged to God if they got away from the word of God. But it wouldn't be God's fault. It's never his fault. Do you know anyone like this? Do you know of a family like this? Do you know of a church like this where they know what will happen when they get away from the word of God, but they drift and they drift, and now they are a thing of the past. It's a shame on any of God's people when they forsake him, isn't it? 
The results of a person forsaking the word of God are heartbreaking. We begin to say, and we can't help it in our spirits and in our conversations and in our hearts and minds, they used to live for God. They used to be faithfully serving. They used to be a witness for Christ, etc., etc. Other people know when the glory departs from the life of another believing individual or family or church. But God cannot be blamed for their departure because he so clearly communicates warnings for how our spiritual condition is contingent on what we do with the Bible. Our spiritual condition, it is contingent. It is totally dependent upon what we do with God's word. So understand that our place in the will of God is contingent on our place in the word of God. Don't miss that tonight. The word of God is the key to remaining in the will of God. God's will is accomplished in and through those who are ruled by his word. Not just those who like the Bible. Not just those who give a thumbs up to the Bible. Not just those who want to feel religious or spiritual and and, and political and they post a a verse here and there on social media. He's not just saying those who, who like Bible preaching. He is really saying to Solomon, as he says in verse number four, and if thou wilt walk, before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded. We need to have a walk with God, not just an appreciation for God's word, not just owning a Bible, not just using it when we want to feel a certain way about ourselves, but rather ruled, governed by the lordship of the word of God. What is God's will? Uh Uh-oh, here we go. What is God's will? You say, oh, now I'm going to write this down. No, we know this. We know this. God's will is Christ-likeness. God's will is Jesus. God's will is his word. The glory of God's people is no longer seen in buildings, temples, and infrastructure built by the hands of his people. The glory of God is the image of Jesus Christ made visible through his living and breathing local churches. The glory of God is the image of Jesus Christ made visible upon you. That's the will of God. There's, there's, and I want you to understand this, that there, there's no Christ-likeness without obedience. And there, there can't be obedience without knowing what God has spoken there, there, there can be no obedience without a relationship. Understand this tonight, that our relationship with God is the foundation of everything else that God will do in your life. Your relationship with the Lord is the foundation on which God continues to build things up for his glory through your life. And so I want us to see, what does Jesus have to say about this? Turn to John 15. Hopefully you're already there. What does Jesus have to say about this? Very familiar verses. In John chapter 15. Notice with me verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. 
And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He's just saying, uh, really spiritually, you're no different than that tree. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing, nothing of eternal value, nothing that pleases God. You might be able to get in your car and drive it. That's not what he's talking about. You might be able to feed yourself. Still, I mean, without him creating us, well, we can't do anything. But he's definitely talking about those things which uh, would count for eternity, those things that will not burn up in heaven. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, here's the warning, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein, get it, is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. The word abide, I'm pretty sure most of us understand what this word means. Understand it was a theme of the church just two or three years ago. Abide. It means to continue. It means to dwell. It means to remain. It remains to endure. And it, remains to, it, it, it means to be attached to. Jesus is saying here in uh, uh, verse uh, 4 and 5 and 6, when he speaks of the word abiding, he's saying, he that is attached to me, he that sticks to me, he that uh, continues to follow me and dwell with me. He says that the fruit of Christ the fruit of me being in your life will be the natural occurrence when we attach ourselves to his word. As God, and God uses fruit-bearing Christians for their intended purpose. God uses fruit-bearing Christians for their intended purpose. So what's the will of God, in other words? The will of God is that you bear fruit. Is it, what, what do you mean? It means that we would bear the evidence that Christ lives in us. That there would be things about our lives, and we have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. There would be things that are coming out of our lives as the Word of God is coming in that bears witness that Christ is in us. Evidence. As I explain it uh, to the children in children's church about what this means, fruit, and it being evidence that Christ lives in us. Say, so if, I, if I am invited to your house... And I walk in, and, and you're not there, and I've, I've got to take care of some things, house-sitting, whatever, and I see your shoes, and I see your Bible, and, and, I, and I see your favorite coffee mug. Well, it's evidence that that's where you live. It's fruit that that is where you live. And so when Jesus speaks of spiritual fruit, it is evidence that he lives in you. And this transpires by the intake of the word. But verse 2 and 6 warn us clearly about what happens when we get away from the word. Look at it, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Notice verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
We cannot be used as, as God intended if we're not bearing fruit, is what those verses mean. Not being used as God intended. So let me say it this way. No fruit, no use. If it helps you remember, you can say no fruit, no juice. Same thing. No fruit, no use. Does this mean we no longer belong to God? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. But it does mean we are risking missing God's plan for our lives. All that God produces for our lives is the result of, being, uh, of having a relationship rooted in Christ. All that God wants for our lives, it is produced based on how we are rooted in our relationship with Christ and his word. Fruit is produced when we are rooted in the word. Fruit, God's will, Christ-likeness. I want you to understand that there is a big difference between missing time in the Bible and becoming detached from the Bible. There's a big difference. The question is, what is your heart attached to tonight? In what are you abiding? What are you following? What are you depending upon? Are you attached to the culture or the word? Are you attached to immorality or the word? Are you attached, are you abiding in a career and money or the word? Are you attached to religiosity and living uh, some religious way on the outside? Or are you attached to the word? Are you attached to abiding in false identity or the word? It's one or the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. Are you attached to earthly pleasures or the word? You see in our text back in 1 Kings 9, we see in our text that Solomon... He was well-informed. He was well-informed. It was very clear to him about how he could be spiritually successful because Solomon loved God and he saw his need for God and therefore he heard from God. How are you doing at this point in your life? I want us to also recognize that God informed. He, he warned Solomon because of his deep love for his people. And why, why do you warn your children? We understand maybe why we, we, might, we might warn somebody who offends us, maybe who, somebody who wants to harm us. We want them to, to stand off and stand back. But often we submit warnings to people. We submit warnings to people we love because we don't want them to be hurt, destroyed, or killed. And so the same is true with, with God's communication to Solomon. And he also knows the tendency of man to become complacent in their walk. God loves Solomon and God loves you and he wants to know how you can experience him and enjoy him instead of destroying your life. So how exactly did Solomon end up getting out of the will of God? I think most of us know the story, know the history of Solomon. We know uh, uh, his end. We've read our Bibles. We've heard it taught. How did he get out of the will of God? It's no mystery, friend, the same way that any of us can get out of the will of God. He forsook God's word. He forsook God's voice. He forsook God's presence. You say, no, no, Brother Dan, it was those, it was those women. It was those concubines. Oh, no, it wasn't that. It was the wealth that took his heart away from God. 
Either way, friend, the word of God is clear. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. And it, at the end of the day, it was true that Solomon lived in disobedience to God's word. It's no mystery. Therefore, he went in the direction of his focus. Your focus determines your direction. I tell that to drivers all the time. Your focus will determine your direction. Stop looking at the nice houses, right? I don't want to be in the front door. Your focus determines your direction. You will glorify, you will obey, you will follow who you listen to. God is a person. D.L. Moody says this statement. It's not a Bible verse, but it has a good deal of truth to it. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. So, Christians lose their ability to make a difference for Christ when they depart from God's words. What happened to them? Where did they go? What happened? Did somebody hurt? Did somebody offend them? Are they bitter? Did, did they, are they addicted to something? Or are they, no, there's simply a departure from God's presence, from his word. And we see this in John 15 as well. 1 Kings 11, verses 10 through 14, we won't read it, makes known to us that King Solomon sadly did not heed God's warnings. And as a result, his testimony, the testimony of his family, and Israel for the glory of God was greatly diminished in society. In fact, the result even further was that Israel was split into a, now a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom because of Solomon's complacency, his carelessness, his apathy with God's commands, statutes, and judgments. With many amounting issues throughout the next several generations as well. So listen tonight, church. God's will for your life is missed when God's word is missing from your life. God's will for your life is missed when God's word is missing from your life. The college and career have, have heard me make this statement many times, and it, it does come from this, but, but for those of you who have not heard it put that way, let me say it again. God's will for your life is missed when God's word is missing from your life. So, so think personally here. Forsaking God's word, it hurts you. It hurts you. You forsake the Bible, you lose your ability to make a difference for Christ. Listen, God can give you all the wealth in the world. He can allow you to have the, the special relationship. He can allow you to have the dream job and allow you to have the dream career and allow you to have all the talents in the world. But the one thing that God is after in your life is a relationship with him. He created you, number one, so that you might know and enjoy him and glorify him forever. And then sin entered in and, 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 and broke the relationship with us and God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish by everlasting life. If you take Christ into your life, the, the, the whole purpose in that is to restore the relationship with God. Sure, God wants to give you things and give you experiences, but he wants you to enter into those things the way that Jesus did. 
by submitting yourself to him, by obeying the word of God. What God allows you to experience, as Blackaby calls activity, comes as a result of seeking the Lord, seeking his word, getting into an intimate relationship with him and receiving from God what he wants for your life and submitting to it and stepping into it and so often enjoying it. Listen, forsaking God's word causes you to miss out. Causes you to miss out. Forsaking God's word also hurts families. It hurts families. The word of God is a missing priority in many Christian homes. I thank God that Pastor Ingram and Canaan Baptist Church is so clear on what a walk with God is. It's not just a bunch of activity. It is your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Enjoying time alone in prayer and communion with the Lord and digging into the divine living word of God. It's so clear. We can't miss it here. And if you end up out of God's will for your life, it's your fault. It's like when we went to college in Oklahoma City and we had uh, uh, classmates or whatever who didn't have a job and they needed a job. The economy in Oklahoma City is incredible. It's your fault you don't have a job. You didn't get out there and just walk the sidewalk for 20 minutes and walk into some store or whatever. It's, it's our fault if we are not experiencing God. In so many homes, there's no effort. There is no routine. There's no depth. There's no response to Bible preaching or Bible teaching. Satan has a foothold in some homes because the Bible does not. It's as simple as that. And the result is that families lose their ability to make a difference for Christ. Oh, you might be here. You might be uh, uh, assembling with the church. But it doesn't mean you're making a difference for Christ. Catch on to that. It doesn't mean you're living for God. It doesn't mean he is evident upon your spirit, your words, your attitude. Don't, don't think that religiosity is, is what your relationship with God is. No, it's the word. Forsaking God's word uh, inevitably hurts the church. How sad, how tragic. But may we, as Solomon has been warned this evening, are you right now, right now, tonight, as we speak, putting yourself at risk to missing all that God has in store for you? We say, well, how can I know that? Well, what's your relationship to the word? So I read that. I read it every other day and such. And the question is, are you walking in what God speaks to you? There's a big difference between reading through your Bible in a year, which is good and healthy and fine, and applying God's word and letting it transform your heart and your mind. God is warning you of the inevitable. God's will is missed when his word is missing from your life. I want you to know that, and God wants us to know tonight, that becoming a thing of the past can be avoided. Listen, becoming a thing of the past, is, it doesn't happen by accident. It's very intentional. I don't need God. I don't need his word. I'm saved. I, I go to church. Well, the inevitable will take place. You can have all those things and still not have God living through your life. It can be avoided. You say, how? 
I submit these two things to you. Number one, stay in love with Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. Love the word of God. Remember why Jesus saved you. He saved you for the greatest relationship of your life. Stay in love with your first love, Christian. Number two, always believe you need God. If you're full of self, you won't see your need for God. Charles Spurgeon said this. Again, it's just a quote of man, but it has a point to it. A Bible falling apart belongs to a life, not falling apart. And so let me say this as well in closing. And I forgot to pray for our young people at camp before we got into the message, and I really tried to make a mental note to do that. But I know we've been praying for them. So we hope and pray for our, our, for our young people as they return from camp, revived and refreshed from the spiritual high of what the Lord did at camp this week. Many of the feelings from camp, listen, they're just going to wear off. That feeling of conviction, that feeling of encouragement when they sat under the preaching of the word like they are tonight in Murfreesboro. But many, but may their parents and we as their church family come to them as God came to Solomon in Israel's revival and strongly encourage them to live each day in the word of God. Listen, we are to live in the word of God whether we feel like it or not. May we tell them this knowing from experience that our place in God's will is contingent on our place in God's word. I hope it's clear tonight. So how's your relationship with God's word? How was it today? How's it been? You say, I got a rebellious child in my family. I don't know what to do. Oh, pray that they would fall in love with getting into God's presence. Are you rooted? Are you submitted to the word? I'm not asking you if, if you like the Bible. Good for you. Are you rooted? Are you submitted? Are you experiencing God? Let's stand together with our heads bowed. And I'll pray. And if the Lord wants you to, to recommit something to him tonight regarding your relationship with him, or there's somebody you're burdened for tonight who is looking at the exit sign spiritually and they're forsaking the word of God, the presence of God, Pray for them. Pray for them.